It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From Fox News, it's The Campaign with Brett Baer. As the United States reached more than 4.6 million cases of COVID-19 and 154,000 deaths, on Sunday, White House Coronavirus Task Force Coordinator Dr. Deborah Burke said the country is in a, quote, new phase of the pandemic. As the virus remains a threat, obviously, to the American public and health, in Washington, leadership is struggling to come to an agreement on a new stimulus package. The sticking point for Democratic leadership is on maintaining the $600 enhanced unemployment benefits, while Republicans... Republicans want it lowered to ensure the $600 a week does not prevent Americans from going back to work. As the negotiations stall, the Trump administration is reportedly considering taking unilateral action on enhanced unemployment and eviction moratoriums if Congress is unable to come to an agreement. Our socially distant panel is anxiously awaiting to discuss this and the campaign. But first, Fox News correspondent Peter Ducey gives us an update from the campaign trail. Joe Biden is home in Delaware this week trying to pick someone to be a heartbeat away from the presidency. And his wife tells Fox he's almost there. Yep, we're close. Okay, well, he's close. Joe Biden does not have any public events or private events to start the week, even though he told donors on Monday, we're going to keep campaigning as aggressively as possible. We're going to need as many pathways to victory as we're going to get. Biden also says that every race he runs, he assumes that he is losing and he never assumes he is winning. But right now he's leading in most national and battleground state polls. And the campaign is sending new staff to battleground states, including Texas. But most of their events remain online only. And the next thing we know about on Biden's schedule as an in-person event is his acceptance speech at the Milwaukee convention in less than two weeks. The Trump campaign has been trying to pressure Biden to agree to an extra debate and an earlier debate since early voting starts before their first showdown. But that's not going to happen. A Biden campaign spokesman tells Fox, Joe Biden said in June that he looks forward to debating Donald Trump on the dates and in the locations chosen by the Presidential Commission on Debates. We are still waiting for Donald Trump to agree to as much. The president has flirted with the idea of skipping the debates in the past, but his campaign tells Fox News that's not going to happen. He'll be there. In Wilmington, Delaware, Peter Ducey, Fox News. Peter, thanks. The latest polls show former Vice President Joe Biden and President Trump polling nearly even in some key battleground states like North Carolina and Georgia, traditionally Republican-leaning. The polls recently paint a more difficult path for re-election for President Trump across the board. Meanwhile, the mystery around former Vice President Joe Biden's VP pick remains as the rescheduled Democratic National Convention approaches and candidates on his short list continue to appear in the public eye to make their case. We'll start there with our panel, co-founder and president of Real Clear Politics, Tom Bevan, chief political correspondent for the Washington Examiner, Byron York, and Fox News politics editor, Chris Steierwalt. Chris, we were talking on a call and saying, you know, maybe this is some grand strategy, you know, to, to look at the shiny thing with these VP picks who are out there talking, and in reality, it's none of them. And Michelle Obama comes out of the door and says, I will be VP pick, and let's get this thing over with. Followed immediately by Wonder Woman. <laughs> um, you know, I think Occam's razor applies here. 
Uh, it's more likely to be Kamala Harris than somebody else. I think there's been a lot of staging efforts on the part of the Biden campaign to try to imbue what is sort of the obvious choice with some drama uh, leaks about the friction with Chris Dodd, who heads up the committee and the, their enthusiasm for ambitious women and all of that stuff may have been a piece of that. Um, but other than Harris, only Tammy Duckworth appears to be somebody on that list who meets the first and most important criteria for Joe Biden, which is could become president and is a political asset, not a detraction and could reasonably be seen as a person who could become president on day one. But in the meantime, I guess we can say Biden is getting a lot of fundraising and a lot of surrogate work out of a lot of people who think they're on that short list. Tom, a lot of uh, people look to Karen Bass, the congresswoman from California, and they said she you know, checks a lot of boxes and she has an interesting history and uh, the Congressional Black Caucus. Uh, and then this story comes out and reminds people of her activities about supporting Fidel Castro, wishing him, you know, well after he, he died and uh, kind of some of her past Cuba statements uh, that really would be a problem in Florida. Yes. And uh, yeah, it took about two hours for her past comments on Castro to surface and another two hours for a video of her, you know, christening a Scientology building in her district back, you know, 10 years ago. I, th- I think that speaks to, uh, to the point Chris made the creation of drama, but also I, I do think uh, that each of these candidates has flaws and it is, they are aggressively sort of pointing out each other's flaws. And I think that's in part because this vice presidential pick is seen within the party as being that consequential, that Joe Biden is merely going to be a placeholder or a transitional figure, and that whoever he picks is going to be the nominal leader uh, of the of the Democratic Party and the presumptive frontrunner in 2024. Byron, your thoughts? Well, I'll say it again. The reason it is so consequential, of course, is that Biden is uh, so old for a president. He would take office at age 78, far older than anybody's ever uh, taken office. One name we haven't mentioned uh, is Susan Rice, who d- doesn't seem to be a very viable candidate, um, having never served an elective office anymore uh, before. But she does have the advantage of actually having worked with Biden, was a top official in the Obama White House, uh, national security advisor and ambassador to the U.S. And one of the, the things about uh, all, almost all of the other choices is that Biden really doesn't have that personal connection that he values so much uh, with uh, any of them. Uh, Kamala Harris being a product of the U.S. Senate, I think that's that uh, stands very high in Biden's mind. He's, he spent 36 years there. Uh, he thinks in terms like he thinks like a senator. So I think that gives her some uh, advantage there. I agree with Chris that she's been she Harris has been the front runner the whole way. Uh, but it is interesting that it this thing is dragging out a little bit. It is. Uh, and, you know, people who say that they put out that they were going to make a decision this week. Well, he could make a decision, but they're going to announce it next week. The bottom line, to Chris's point, I think this is all this is all designed to give a little bit of juice heading into what a convention. We don't know what it's going to look like. We know it's not going to be packed with to the rafters with people and balloons, uh, but they're going to have to have some programming, Chris. Yeah, and you know the American political convention has been 
a meaningless, quasi-meaningless activity, basically an infomercial for these parties for a long time, for decades. And this, uh, you know, one begins to wonder that given the way that the parties pick their nominees, is this the end of conventions uh, as we knew them? Um, the, there's a strong impulse for the parties to want to get together, but really this comes down to a television production job. Who can produce the hashtag content uh, and how can they produce it in such a way that is compelling, that makes it into the news so that you're playing it on special report, you know, one week after another? Uh, who can do that job? Trump is quite a television producer. There's no question about it. He has the experience in the field in a way that no president ever has. But Democrats have a lot of people from Hollywood. Democrats have a lot of people who are slick at this stuff. So I think the goal is going to be to try to create something that feels like uh, is slick, but authentic at the same time. It's going to yeah. be like those uh, those NBA games, if you watch them, right. where they have the virtual fans. I mean, it looks like a video game practically. It does not feel – it feels like a simulated event, really. And I suspect the conventions are going to have a, a, a bit of that to it. You think they're going to add digital delegates? <laughs> like <laughs> with signs and balloons and like funny hats? I just – not necessarily, although they might, but I just think it's going to be unlike anything that we've – to, to Chris's point, they're going to try and replicate what what we're used to, what we've been used to for the past, you know, decades with with the balloons and the cheers and all of that, but without having any of that live. And so it's going to be a very odd. Um, it's going to be a really odd experience, as as has been the, almost this, this entire campaign. Well, I'll share some inside baseball here. Um, we are going with a much smaller footprint, and we're going to Milwaukee. Martha and I will be anchoring. Uh, coverage from there each night and and our respective shows um, very small footprint for Fox but uh, I think we're the only anchors actually going from any network that I've, I've seen so far number one number two we had our tickets to Jacksonville now we shifted to Charlotte but I don't know where we're going to be for the RNC convention when the president accepts the nomination he may be at the White House wasn't that a great line? It was in the press conference last week, and uh, Trump has asked, uh, you know, where are you going to give your acceptance address? And he says, well, we'll be going to Charlotte. So they said, oh, okay, so you'll be physically in Charlotte when you give your acceptance address. He said, no, no, we're working on that. We'll announce it next week. Anybody got any ideas? <laughs> he said that. Um, you know, the thing that gives these things a lot of their spectacle is large crowds of people. We, you know, we at home look and you see this large crowd of people, whether they're packing a football stadium or they're in a in a coliseum for a for a political convention, and that sort of translates energy. And th that's I don't think there's any way to actually create that. You can have you know fireworks and acrobats and and whatever else you can come up with, but they're not going to be able to transmit that basic idea of thousands and thousands of enthusiastic Americans getting together for Joe Biden or Donald Trump. Maybe it goes back to Mount Rushmore. Who knows? Um, that seemed to work that weekend. The meantime, you know, the politics of COVID-19 is really quite something. Uh, if you think about not only the negotiations uh, that are going on to try to, on the economic side with the Latin, another stimulus effort, and there's legitimate charges from Republicans that the Democrats are behind the scenes kind of slowing this process um, 
with the thought of if they don't get everything they want, it doesn't hurt them if, you know, the economy doesn't take this other shot in the arm prior to the election. Um, I, it may be a little cynical, but it's that's how Washington sometimes works. Um, in the meantime, you have these schools and whether they're reopening or not. And we just have an interesting thing here in um, Maryland. Just moments ago, the Maryland governor, Larry Hogan, issued an executive order that nullifies the Montgomery County's blanket ban on in-person schooling at non-public schools. This came out Friday. Affects a lot of people, obviously, including my kids, I should point out. Uh, But just to have a county that makes a decision, you're not going back to school until October 1st, at least. And then the governor steps in and says, no, that is null and void. The schools will make the decision. I mean, this is becoming, and I bet you it's going to be all over the country, Tom. Yeah, absolutely. And and this is something that, that does really resonate with folks. Uh, parents are, we've seen story after story, parents, it's, it's, a very uh, it's a critical element for them not only as a you know the kids education but also for the parents ability to, to go back to work and, and earn money without being feeling like they need to uh, you know stay at home and it's also um, it's become very obviously very political and that's something that you know Donald Trump has been trying to you know he initially came out and said look I'm laid down the marker schools have to be open we want in-person schooling he has since walked that back as the virus has sort of made a resurgence in, in states across the country. But but absolutely, it's become a political football, but but one that very much is on the minds of, uh, you know, every American um, or almost every American anyway, because I think most most parents say they want to have their kids in school, but they want it done responsibly. You know, they want to get the kids back to, to learning. And I, I've got five kids at home, you know, anywhere from uh, third grade all the way up to, to going to be a junior in college. And, you know, you can really see it now especially it wasn't as much of an issue when it was just the last few weeks of last year. Um, But as you know, my daughter approaches her senior year of high school and, you know, I have a son who's going into seventh grade. I mean, the prospect of another year, either all at home, remote learning. um, It's, it's something that my wife and I, and I'm sure plenty of parents around the country are are talking about on a daily basis. Does this translate Chris to a political advantage one way or another? Well, first, I think that Bevan should just do the one-room schoolhouse approach. They have kids of such ages, and so many of them, they can just have the older ones teach the younger ones. It sounds like it will work fine. Um, so this is a bad year for incumbents um, because people are frustrated. Um, they are understandably frustrated. Uh, we have material demonstration that the government is bad at its job. A government that was good at its job. So I think I'll take everybody at face value. Everybody would like schools to reopen, as many schools to reopen as safely as possible, for as many students to be in school safely as they could. I believe everybody actually wants that. If you wanted to do that, you would not be having the debate now and with basically no policy platform in place. You would have been talking about how many hundreds of billions of dollars need to go and how many places with what sort of triggers and careful, thoughtful, earnest people of both parties would have hammered out a deal um, three months ago, four months ago, because we knew this was coming. But instead we have a government that only governs by crisis. We have to go over the cliff before we go in. So now we're over the cliff. The damage is being done to the no one. There's no proponent of, of nothing for extra 
uh, unemployment benefits right away. There's no proponent for doing nothing. Not even the most ardent lover of limited government says do nothing. So the government's doing nothing. People are frustrated. The Republicans control the presidency and the Senate. Democrats only control the House. Their calculation or assumption is that Republicans will suffer more because of the frustration of voters with incumbents. But the schools thing is such an example of the spread out nature of power in the United States. It's not going to change if a Democrat is in the White House or if Democrats control the House and the Senate. In this case, you had a county official in Maryland, unelected, by the way, uh, making a decision on schools opening. And then you had the governor of Maryland uh, overruling that decision. And none of that rises to the national level. And all of it can be uh, replicated in uh, 50 different states. So, you know, yes, it would have been better if uh, the federal government had agreed on some policy months ago. Uh, but but the fact is that the conditions are different in all of the different states and all of the authorities are different in all of the different states. So it's 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 hard to avoid uh, the kind of chaos we're seeing now. Guys, let's hold it right there. We'll continue after this. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Hey there, it's me, Kennedy. Make sure to check out my podcast, Kennedy Saves the World. It is five days a week, every week. Download and listen at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. Since our last chat, uh, do you think this race has changed, Tom? When was our last chat? Probably? Well, let's say you weren't at here last week, but the, the last time you were on, do you think this race uh, has, has shifted? Is it not, changed substantially, do you think? No, not dramatically. And I, th- I, I think we have seen Biden sort of expand his, his lead in uh, some of the battleground states over the past few weeks. But it looks like, uh, and I'm not sure, you know, whether that was Trump's handling of the virus um, or what necessarily was driving that. But Trump's approval rating is heading back up uh, in the last, say, seven days or so. He's picked up some ground in some of these swing states. And that may just be sort of the natural tightening that occurs in these races. I suspect uh, that this race will get closer as we get um, as we get closer to Election Day. But I think the overall dynamic of the race hasn't really changed much. It still uh, still comes down to basically a referendum on Trump. And right now, voters are, I think, m- more voters are inclined to vote against him than for him, at least for the time being. And, and the Trump campaign has yet to really make this a choice between him and Biden. They've, they've been trying, um, but it hasn't broken through, at least not yet. And we'll see whether that once the vast majority of the public, this sort of big swath that are less political, less ideological, don't follow this stuff the way we do day in and day out. When they tune in after Labor Day and start to educate themselves uh, about you know the choice that they're going to make, uh, the Trump campaign's hope is that when they, that's when they can really leverage their argument, which, again, to this point, hasn't really gotten much traction. Yeah, they've got a couple new campaign ads that really paint uh, Joe Biden as kind of a vessel of the left and point to different things he's said and done that suggests that the really progressive left side of the party is going to be in control of the Biden White House. It's a tough argument to make if you look at Biden's history, but if you look at the recent comments and what he's tried to do to shore up the progressive side, 
obviously they make a compelling case. Chris, the uh, other thing that's out there now more and more, there are about three or four op-eds, is Joe Biden, don't do the debates with Donald Trump. For one reason or another, Joe Lockhart says he lies too much. Other people say you could negotiate to get his taxes released or something, something. But should that happen? Should the Biden campaign just hypothetically say, you know what, we're not doing them? The, the impact and the political ramifications of that would be detrimental, right? I mean, very detrimental. Well, I think one thing that all three of your panelists, we would all agree today is that, thank God there's no uh, ban on writing stupid pieces. Because I'm certainly guilty of having <laughs> written stupid pieces in my life. Um, but no, these are powerfully stupid pieces. Um, there's one today in the New York Times, a gal who says, um, that, well, we should just n- not have any debates anymore because they're dumb and I don't like them and we just shouldn't have debates. OK. And you read this stuff or Thomas Friedman, the wrongest public intellectual of the of the last 50 years that it's like, well, Biden shouldn't do it. He shouldn't do it. Can you imagine if Joe Biden unilaterally said, I'm out. I'm not doing any debates. He would fully fulfill Trump's accusation that he is scared to debate. He would create a whole new narrative. He would create a whole new narrative for the race. And he would do something that so far Trump has been more guilty of than him, which is seeming to not care about what voters' concerns are. If the number one concern is, are you ready? Can you do it? Can you handle the gig? And you say, I won't even debate. You blow up your campaign. It would be colossally stupid of Biden. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Byron? The, well, you know, the, uh, I, I, I totally agree with all that. I think it would have enormous consequences. But I think and the people who are floating this Biden uh, boycott the debate idea are not top Democratic Party officials. They're not officials of the Biden campaign. So we don't know how far this uh might go but i i have the sense that the the race actually is tightening and it's tightening because trump is doing better and he's doing better because he's displayed a bit of self-discipline in the last uh couple of weeks uh and just hasn't gone off in some crazy direction uh that causes everybody to you know flap on about it for for several days uh, he has revived uh, the coronavirus briefings occasionally, but made them short uh, and hasn't done this the sort of show that he was doing a few months ago. And the, I think what you see, and th- this has happened before, anytime Trump manages to display a little discipline for a couple, two or three weeks, his ratings will go up as he's, as people sort of accept him as president. But of course, he's never able to do, you know, keep that up for very long. And I don't anticipate that he will now. But nevertheless, I do get a sense that the race is getting a bit closer now. Byron, he just suggested postponing the election, which caused heads to explode, but (laughs) which is not not terribly disciplined. He He snuck one cigarette, but he's doing a really good job. If I could could comment real quickly on the debate thing, I don't think and this is just me, my, my sense of things. I don't think the idea was ever to try and get. Joe Biden out of all of the debates. That is that would cause a, a complete meltdown. But you know that that's um, what these op-eds are saying. I mean, like three or thinking, four of them. But but I think it was a I think it was a trial balloon, sort of a stalking horse. Because what I I don't think Joe Biden could or should get out of those debates. But what I think he might do, what I think 
the Democrats could try and do is to say, you know what? Well, we'll do one. We're just going to do one. We're not going to do all three. We'll debate him, but we're only going to do one. And they're going to use his taxes or whatever to justify not having to stand on stage with Trump three times, but do it less than three times. And I think that that's something that I, I could see happening and them trying to get away with the idea of not doing the, the requisite three debates. But if you blow the constraints of the committee on, on presidential debates, you that's that's the whole beauty of the of their system there they have a absolute uh monopoly you either do the debates we propose or we're out of the we're out of the game it's an all or nothing proposition and what biden knows is that as soon as he pops the seal on that trump wants 14 debates trump uh will drive to wilmington and stand outside of his house and demand that he come out and debate him and that's all that the Trump campaign would talk about. Joe Biden is afraid to debate us because you know what happens in every race where the guy's losing. They talk about debates. You can always tell which candidate is losing because they say, well, we want 77 debates. So I think Biden. Has They're already doing that, Chris. Third. I mean, Stepien yep. said that today. I mean, they, they, they want to debate, you know, every every week between now and the so election. Biden's got to hide behind the skirts of the CPD. Yeah. The powers that be when it comes to uh, the the commission on debates and um, and we still haven't heard exactly where they're going to be or exactly who's doing them. But we'll uh, definitely follow up. All right. Down the row here. VP pick probably next week. Let's see Tom first. I've continued to say you only get one. You only get one. I'm I'm not going to go this whole thing like maybe it's this. Maybe it's that. (laughs) No. Uh, I, I'm sticking with the long shot, uh, my my homer uh, here, Tammy Duckworth. Okay. All right. Byron? Uh, Kamala Harris. It's the least exciting case, but it's been the leading case all along. Okay. Chris? As tantalized as I am to join Tom, because I think it would be smart for the campaign, I got to agree with Byron. I think you, the, in a race where you got to lead, you take the chalk, and Harris is the chalk. And behind door number three, Michelle Obama. <laughs> come on out i don't know it's possible if michelle, if michelle obama comes out she's not coming out to run for vice president she's yeah, yeah. She well i mean she's essentially running for president she could have a deal <laughs> and joe biden says i'll i'll do a couple years and then step down oh she could uh, probably take that deal right now Yeah. All right. If not that, Susan Rice. That's what I'm going with. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Here's a bit of campaign trivia. On August 3rd, 1980, after the Republican National Convention, Ronald Reagan gave a campaign speech at the Neshoba County Fair in Mississippi. It was this speech in which Reagan pushed his campaign rhetoric for small government, saying he believed the balance of government was not valuing states' rights enough in areas like education. This would also be the first presidential candidate ever to campaign at the county fair there. That will do it for this week. You can hear more of this series at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Make sure to leave a rating and review. We want to hear from you. For Tom, Byron, and Chris, I'm Brett Baer. We'll see you next time. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, Fox News contributor and editor of the Transom.com daily newsletter. And I'm inviting you to join a conversation every week. It's the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.